Today's guest is Jennifer Folsom. She's the VP of Growth at ICF Next. And Jennifer is also a Customer Experience Advisory member at the Richmond School of Professional and Continuing Studies and the author of the book, Ringmaster, Work, Life, and Keeping It All Together, which I'm very much looking forward to reading. Uh, Jennifer completed the ACTIAC Partners Program in 2021, and she is currently the Industry Vice Chair for Partners 2024. And it's through that community, the ACTIAC community, that Jennifer and I have had an opportunity to interact. So thanks for coming on the podcast, Jennifer. Thanks so much for having me. This is a blast. So for those who haven't had a chance to uh, meet you at an event or here in the D.C. area, talk about where you're from, who you are, and what you do. Yeah, I'm uh, uh, actually from Charlottesville, Virginia, uh, Central Virginia. Um, my parents had nothing to do with the university. We are just townies. That's my husband's favorite thing <laughs> to say. He married a townie. Um, but we've been in Alexandria in the D.C. area since um, I finished undergrad. Uh, so, gosh, 25 years ago. And I'm a VP of growth over at ICF Next, which is the part of ICF Consulting. That's the digital marketing agency serving mostly federal and civilian clients. Um, but as you mentioned, I also write a little bit. I write for uh, MSNBC, uh, their Know Your Value platform for professional women, as well as Forbes Women. That's a newer um, column that I picked up this year. And I'm really passionate about making uh, the work environment doable and manageable and a really positive experience for women in leadership positions. And that's huge, right? I've already read some of your articles. They're fantastic. I mean, I'm not a woman, so it's not, I know I'm not the target audience, but I have women in my life, my wife and my daughter that uh, I can share what I've learned about. So uh, thank you for, for doing those. Let's roll, the, roll it back a little bit. Yeah. Um, as you were exiting high school, did you know what you wanted to do with your life? You know, I knew I wanted to go to college, but I didn't know much of anything else. I was a first generation college student. So um, I rolled the dice and played soccer at a little D3 school outside of Richmond called Randolph-Macon. Turned out to be one of the best decisions I've ever made. A small liberal arts college really has prepared me with both the people and soft skills, but also the 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 hard skills and to work in a really dynamic, changing environment. Like I think liberal arts are so important. Um, I continue to serve um, as the president of the board of alumni for, for the college. I feel really strongly about it. Um, but I, I worked... Uh, for a couple of years after graduation in corporate finance, thinking like, that's like the hardest job to get. So I'm going to go for it and I'm going to make much money and pay off all these student loans. But pretty quickly, I realized that if I were going to stay in finance, I was going to need an MBA. So uh, my husband and I, we just got married. We were doing MBAs back to back. And so we kind of settled on the D.C. area. A lot of programs here. And um, I went to Georgetown. Um and I was going right back into corporate finance and I was going to be an investment banker. But second year, 9-11 happened and the financial markets really fell apart. Um, the other interesting thing that happened is the day after 9-11, I found out we were expecting twins. So um, I thought, gosh, those investment banking hours, even if uh, that offer I had didn't get torn up, was probably going to be pretty tough. So I did what everybody else did and went into management consulting. Um, at that time, you know, DOD was really uh, getting a lot of money. DHS was standing up. Those were all kind of big, meaty kind of projects to work on early on in my consulting career. I was at bearing point through the Deloitte acquisition there. But there were a couple of things that just happened that I was like, gosh, I keep hitting a brick wall. Like um, I actually had a managing director who was still there who told me that I could not um, be promoted due to like my family 
obligations at home. Right. And I was up on for a promotion panel and I was like, did that guy just say what I think he just said? This is really happening. <laughs> um, and uh, it was frustrating. I was doing really well, but I was like, gosh, I just didn't really have a lot of female mentors. And I left and co-founded a company called Momentum Resources, um, which was essentially a staff og firm, but focused on flexible and full-time or and, and part-time professional roles. Um, and we ran that company for five years before selling it. And we learned a lot. Um, I am like the most risk averse small business owner, but what it did was taught me how to hustle. It taught mm -hmm. me how to basically trade on my relationships to grow a sales and revenue pipeline. Like you can't be uncomfortable in sales if you're dependent on, you know, that if you take your foot off the gas pedal, you might not make a mortgage payment. And it's like that small business hustle. Um, but we sold the company and I went in-house with it, my then biggest client. They were kind of that end of the 8A curve, you know, about to graduate, big, needed a lot of help. Um, and I stayed there for seven years and it was really, really wonderful. It was one of the best work environments I ever had. I really grew up there. I had a lot of different roles, great people with just this incredible level of client service expectation. So that's where I come at. Like, you know, I expect really high level of quality um, and work product and with the client service experience. Um, but I took a, a sabbatical to write my book that you mentioned. When I came back, I thought, I think I'm just ready for another thing. It was like in college when I studied abroad and I was like, you know, drinking my red wine and I came back to college and everyone's still crushing beer cans. And uh, I just, I was like, you know, I'm ready. So I, I went to work for another uh, larger 8A company, but it was a tough decision. I took a pay cut. I had a terrible commute. I had less flexibility, but I knew that this one CEO that I wanted to work for was really bright and was great at growing companies and I was going to learn a lot. So I was there for uh, about a year just soaking up. And if I could look back on anything, I probably should be taking a lot more of those risks across my career and saying yes and um, and really believing in that I could, you know, make a decision that looked kind of strange on paper but would be the right thing in the end. Um, and that led me to ICF. Um, I really began to, you know, begin to care about um, the quality of the work and the type of projects we were working on. And, I, you know, a lot of people don't know, ICF is a big global management consulting firm, uh, but uh, it was originally started as the Inner City Fund of Washington <laughs> by a Tuskegee Airman in 1969. It's like the coolest origin story that no one knows about. And so because of that, we have a lot of really interesting projects in public health, climate, that really resonated with me. Um, and so when I think about those decision points, I probably should have been a little more comfortable in the discomfort taking a few more leaps um, and particularly making lateral moves. Yeah, that would be, that is a challenge, right? When you're doing your career at the moment, you don't always think, you know, or you think that uncomfortability would be to change, make a lateral, have to learn a, new, a whole new business area. The people are, am I, is it, am I going to fail? Right. Uh, but uh, it, when the opportunities do arise, you, you realize, you know, it, your work ethic is going to overcome most of that. A hundred percent. And I think, you know, the whole time my post MBA life, you know, I've been a mom, I have three boys and, you know, working out with uh, a manager with whom you have a lot of social capital who trusts you and knows you and doesn't want to micromanage your time. And if you're leaving at three 30 twice a week to drive the soccer carpool, it's like no big deal. Right. And some of these things seem a little like eye rolly 
post COVID when we're all working in a very hybrid situation and working from home. But at the time, it was so hard to work out different schedules so that we could do pickups and drop offs and make daycare times and, you know, being present for my kids and really putting them first. Um, I, I think there's a real sea change now. And I see that with younger parents who that's just their expectation. And I mean, it's not just for moms, it's for the dads too. Yeah. Their expectations that their kids are big parts of their careers and they're not afraid to hide it. And I love that. The thing about COVID and working with toddlers crawling all over you, babies crying, is the madness that is working with young kids around you was like televised for everybody to see. <laughs> and people were still getting it done. They were still making their numbers. If you look at most people's productivity through COVID and beyond, it's economic expansion across the board. So we proved that we could do it, but we no longer have to kind of hide in the closet about it. That's so true. Because I, I remember uh, before COVID, most, I work in the federal space, I'm federal government, uh, most federal agencies, telework was a one or two day privilege pay period, not even a right. week, right? right. And uh, it was a big sea change. Even at my agency, where I was current, where I was working at the time when COVID happened, where we had a very liberal policy of five days uh, a pay period because we had moved into a smaller space and so right. at the chairs. Uh, even that going to full time was such an adjustment for many. I, I was so fortunate. I, I um, I feel blessed that the timing was my my youngest was in high school. Yeah. I yeah. could not even imagine, and I had great empathy for many of the the the, the, the moms and dads who had to deal with, especially the people who right. both worked, right? right even right. childcare was closed, and so they're juggling. Okay, for this hour, I'm watching the kid while you're in a meeting, and next hour, I, you know, we're switching. And absolutely, I could not even imagine. No, no. I mean, we had our own challenges trying to get kids into homeschooling and high school. There's all these other things too. But um, I think it just really, it, it we kind of peered behind the kimono. It's made it more transparent that you're able to get your job done and do really well and be present for your families. And that's really important. So I'm curious because you, you, you briefly said, you know, and then I took a sabbatical to write a book. Well, Taking a sabbatical is a big decision, number one, right? Because you're you're going out of employment for for a bit, taking a break. And uh, as you said, you run into people like you did where uh, people would see that as a disadvantage for a woman to take a break from work. But then also you wrote a book. What, what motivated you to write the book? Well, you know, first, let me say something about the sabbatical. Um, that was a great small firm benefit that oh. my old company allowed for that after seven years, maybe five years, you could take up to four months and it's unpaid, which is a privilege that I was even able to save and afford to do that. But, you know, keep your benefits and your health care and your job. And I think that's something a lot of small companies should consider as a, a differentiator. Um, it's, it was really it was a great idea and was great for me at the time. It really hit that burnout level. And for me personally, I know it's kind of crazy. I have three kids, but I never took maternity leave. I was in graduate school when I had the twins and running my own company when I had my third. So I was like, you know what? I'm kind of due a few months off. And I was still in charge of them. I mean, it was, they're a little bit older, but it wasn't like I was off off, but I'd had this idea for a book that you know, I for sure didn't have all the ideas, but I know a lot of really impressive people, a lot of women who have figured out a lot of things. And I was like, what if I could just sort of structure the idea about what makes it hard to be a working mom? I mean, I really try to make this agnostic, but the audience really is for women. Um, 
and and how can I lean on those experts through a series of interviews to solve some of those pain points? So, uh, for example, I went to my nutritionist friend. I'm like, all right, well, what healthy meals like do you have stashed in the freezer and in your pantry? Hmm. That you're, like putting on the table and going from your last conference call to swim. <laughs> practice to baseball carpool um and how do my single parent friends do it and what do you do if i mean really kind of thinking through all the different scenarios and what i could sort of garner pull together in a framework that made sense and then share broadly with a, a bigger audience and of course because i'm a classic management consultant i have to have a framework for this <laughs> but the idea with with the the you being the ringmaster of your own circus is like there is no balance you can just let that go but there's a three ring circus, work, life, and you, and you can mm. decide you really should feel empowered to be the ringmaster. You decide what goes into each of those rings and when and where that spotlight shines. And what I found over my career is that, you know, there are certain times where my work really needs all of my focus and I need to be all in. And, you know, my husband needs to sort the kids or they need to be on their own for a little bit. All good. I got a village. And in the book even talks about like why and how to build that village. Mm -hmm. But there are times when I can step away from my work because I've organized it so to really focus. And that might be hour to hour. That's not like saying like, this is the year I really focus on <laughs> getting, you know, my son right. ready for kindergarten. It's like, you're shifting all the time. And really um, I wanted to acknowledge that the juggle is really hard, but there is no reason we should chase some sort of aspirational balance point. I like that because, you know, classically, my parents, you know, few past generations, women would have to quit. Yeah. My, my mother-in-law was in the Air Force and got pregnant and had to leave the military, <laughs> right? That, that, that luckily doesn't happen now. You don't have to leave married, uh, the military because you got pregnant. But it, it wasn't even that long ago that that was still a right. Right. So um, this is very important for, you know, the current generations who are coming into workforce, who are familiar with the post-COVID, uh, you know, remote flexibilities yeah. that um, we need to support them. Right. And like as you said, they can be the ringmaster. And but that doesn't mean they don't get help. Um, I, I love um, supporting the people who work for me and whatever's going on in their lives, whether it's their own personal health or family members' health or children or challenges they have. I don't care. I, I want to empathetically support you because you're a great performer. You're doing the job. Right. The mark. Right. We're getting everything right. done. You know, we can be flexible. Uh, but man, it's there's there are a lot of managers out there who are not like that. No, no. And people will leave those managers. And I think, yeah. you know, you know, the the particularly in the tech sector, the headlines about the rifts get a lot of press. Mm -hmm. But I think for the top talent, the market's still pretty tight. And I think that people will leave those managers, those that have these like hard and fast, like you must be in the office five days a week as we're thinking about a return to the office policy. Good luck. That's not the hill I want to die on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, my my daughter would already tell you, absolutely not. I, I <laughs> had those conversations with her. Uh, you know, that's not her goal, right? And my and my um, oldest son, who works in the federal government, he's got an amazing work life balance. He works to live. He doesn't work and live his entire life around work. Yeah. Now that's not to say he's not really good at what he does. He loves what he does. He absolutely dives into it, right? And I think that's an interesting balance. A lot of people don't realize is you can be really, really good at what you do, and you even spend some time. And, and but you don't have to spend all of your life about it. Yeah, and there definitely have been points in my life where I was not so balanced, and I was really kind of all in. And I think um, 
I wish I had been a little bit more clear with my sort of, I don't know, mental load and better boundaries with that. You know, when I'm at soccer practice with the boys, I wish I was really more present and not checking my phone and looking at email. Like it goes so fast. I mean, it really is remarkable how fast it goes. So that's a leather, if I have some regrets, I guess maybe that's it. But I think those are times that we learn from, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's not like my job as a parent has ended. I'm still very actively parenting and I have an opportunity to do that more presently uh, every day. So I'm curious, um, I know a lot about ICF, but I was surprised that I had not heard much about ICF next. What, um, what do, why do you think that that's the case? You know, it's a bit of a, um, a branding conundrum. Sometimes the, our federal agency clients like to see that digital marketing brand. Mm. So when we're leading these deals ourselves and going against um, other marketing agencies like a Weber or Shandwick or something like that, that that's the, what they like to see, that Madison Avenue uh-huh. kind of experience. Um, but often we work just part of uh, other parts of ICF. We're a component of a larger opportunity or we're teaming with, increasingly with our small business partners. The way the federal government buys the work that we do is typically through small business partners. So um, we've spent the last three years trying to really become the large business partner of choice and change the way we operate, take really long view about how we go to market with our small partners. And it's made a big difference. And I think it really goes to the values of the company for for how we want to behave in the long run and how we want to serve our federal customers. That's a key element that a lot of uh, people don't realize is the federal government works mostly through small businesses. I like yeah. the vast majority of the work has gone through a small business and um, the larger companies come along and support those businesses. And it can be a really interesting relationship. I've worked at a number of small consulting firms where we had large partners and those large partners teach you how to do business, teach you how to grow yourself. Sure. They're benefiting by leveraging your connection to be able to get access to the work themselves as well, right? So it's a, everybody needs to benefit from it, but it's fascinating to me that that um, relationship can be so beneficial in both directions. It can. Um, and there are a lot of bad actors in the large space. You know, many yeah. of them are publicly held companies like ours. So, you know, they're beholden to shareholders and they have to think about really tight metrics and, and financial performance. And that's appropriate, but there's a way to do it in a way that's honest and transparent and you're thinking about the long run um, over and over again, we say like, okay, let's go to market together. Let's pipeline together. Let's go see our customers together. Let's write thought leadership together. Let's really Mm -hmm. come up with this, the whole thing together, but you have to make some decisions when you're the large business partner behind a small about how you're going to behave. Do you want to take their work share in the out years? Do you want to give them the labor categories and the roles that are not as appealing to you? You know, I would just encourage most of my large business uh, compatriots out there to really think about how they want to behave. I worked most recently in smalls, so I saw a lot of bad behavior and I thought, gosh, if I ever get back into the large size where I have all of those resources, I want to be different. I want to behave differently. There's a different way to operate. Mm. Um, And to my friends in the federal sector, I mean, really pay attention to how those large business partners are treating their smalls whether they're giving them the promised work share, how they're 
paying them? Is it on time? I mean, a small business can't go a month without getting paid. Um, and, and really dig into that. I mean, I think that that's a weird kind of nuance to the way that our business operates in our world and, and something we should probably pay a lot more attention to. Mm, I like that. So how did you get involved in Act Act? Since we both have that commonality, I'm very curious. A former boss told me about it. And I said, I don't even know what this secret club is that I'm not a <laughs> member of. Um, and once I went through the partners program, I thought, wow, this is it. I understand now how things happen, how all those relationships you have. Like when you have a question, you can't get a contracting officer to call you back. You know, someone in the agency who can and um, just really understanding um, how government and industry can work together. Mm-hmm. Um that it shouldn't be so fraught with, but the FAR, you're like, the FAR doesn't say we can't talk to one another. I mean, there's really <laughs> specific guidelines about when and how and what we could talk about. Sure. But like there's, there, there would be a lot, I think, less friction if there was a little bit more collaboration. That's why I'm really excited to lead uh, through this partners class. Um, I think working through that sort of the partner structure where I'm paired with Melissa from the NRC and Melissa and I worked through a lot of problems together and a lot of projects and put forth ideas. And I really had to step into her shoes and say like, oh, this is why it takes so long. This is mm-hmm. why there needs so many levels of approval. And um, it's really changed the way I work. Um, I think the people within ACT-IAC are extremely passionate I think they really care about good government and solving problems together. And it's the most effective use of my time from a pre- professional development perspective, for sure. And I've done a number of programs, um, but I continue to want to seek out those events and seek out that content because the people are, they come, they show up in a really authentic way to try and crack the nut on some really big problems that we have. No, absolutely. That's uh, equally, that's why I participate in act I love the opportunity to also share about here's what's going on and here are the opportunities that are yeah. coming. And because the FAR doesn't stop me from having these conversations, right. as long as I'm willing to have them with anybody uh, until the procurement's on the street, I will have them with everybody and just tell you what's going on because I want what the best for, for the work we're trying to do, right? I want the best yeah. proposal. I don't want to have to weed through a bunch of proposals and go, I don't understand if they get it. Right. I don't understand if they right. know what I'm trying to do. Uh, and having worked in the industry and, and been on the other side and, and, and made proposals and tech presentations, yeah, it's actually helpful if you have a little bit of experience, both government and, and non-government or yes. participation in an organization like this where you get that insight. Absolutely. So as you look back, what's, you know, what's something that you wish was done differently that, you know, maybe it's not bad. It's not like the most horrible thing ever, but you wish, you know, in the industry, we did something differently or in your own career that you wish you had done differently. You know, that's a great question. I've talked through a couple of, um, I don't know, I hate to call them regrets because they are decisions and you learn from them, but um, I wish there were more opportunities for industry and government to convene. I wish that there was a broader understanding of what the FAR and the restrictions are. Uh, I wish there were fewer protests. (laughs) You know, I think that slows things down for everybody. And I'm not sure that the American public is benefiting from that at all. Um, I'm not really sure who is because it's frustrating for all parties involved. So, um, you know, that's, that's an area I would love to see some, some positive changes on. 
Oh, absolutely. I'm with you. <laughs> having having been at the party of, uh, you know, having put a lot of effort into putting something on the street and then it gets protested. You're like, no, I need then, to get this going. <laughs> right. And you, now you got to figure out if there was a, if there was an incumbent. Now I got to figure out how to pay for them while I'm also saving money for the. Yeah. Yeah. It's that's a that's a great one. So what's what's coming up for you in this next year? I know you're doing Partners 2024. Are you looking forward to that? Super pumped about that. I think it's a really incredible class. It's going to be a really big class. Um, lots and lots of interest, uh, well oversubscribed. So um, digging in uh, to that um, uh, on the ICF front, we've got some really cool work that we're, we're, we're thinking through in terms of um, the way uh, the government serves uh, underserved audiences mm. and um, demographics that have been left behind from an equity perspective, whether it's climate or health. Uh, there's some really cool work that I I just I can't wait to get enough of uh, and, and dive into more. Um, we've got some newer small business partners I'm pumped about working with that are kind of those micro smalls. I always say my small business partners are like, um, it's, it's like my babysitter list. Like when my kids were smaller, like you're always recruiting. Right. And if you do it well, the kids, they, you know, the babysitters grow up and they move along, they go to college or what have you, you always have to be recruiting. It's the same thing with your small <laughs> business partners. If they're not growing, you're probably doing it wrong. Like you want to be growing with them, but they're going to size out. So we've been in hyper recruitment mode for some new small partners and, and bringing them along with us that I think will be cool. Um, on the personal front, I'm, you know, I write a lot about my experience as a mom, but I'm definitely have spent the last few years as a caregiver to my parents. I lost my dad last year and in the, in the tough phase of moving my mom into memory care in, in the next month. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a really tough phase. And I think that it hits a lot um, of women particularly end up being in that sort of main caregiver role. Um, I read a statistic recently that said uh, up to two thirds of women are caring for either small children, elderly parents, or both. Mm -hmm. And like, God help you if you're doing both. I mean, that's a lot. So really thinking about how I can... Um, learn from this experience, which has been really challenging, but also support others. I think for women who are at a pretty senior level, um, often this, right as they're kind of getting their stride in some executive roles, they're also taking care of their folks. And we just, as a country, don't have a lot of services, support, uh, you know, the same lack of support that I experienced as a new mom um, I'm finding as, as a caregiver. So, um, that's something, you know, we do a lot of CX work, customer experience, and I'm all over thinking about how we do that better in the government. Hmm. Well, those are great things to think about. And Jennifer, it's been great getting to know you better. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Jeremy.